Talk with Ben Tompkins. What's good? This is Real Talk. I'm Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Nobody Currently. These are the Mixtape Days. And this is Uber Stories Part 30. Brand new listeners to the show, welcome in, my friends. You're picking a good time to get in. To my day ones, I'm glad to have you guys back for another episode. Thank you for riding with me. This is an exciting episode. Not really, but it's an exciting episode for the fact that I'm just, you know, when somebody is excited for Christmas, they say, oh, we're two sleeps away from Christmas. That's how I feel because next week I'm going to be in Chicago to take the road on the show, and I'm pretty hyped about that. So we're going to be doing Uber Story Chicago. I will be up in in, uh, the Windy City from the 15th until the 20th, and then I'm going to have a banger of an episode ready to drop the very next week. Next week, obviously, we'll have Uber Stories Part 31, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably going to be a little bit better, or at least I'll have more stories on Uber Stories Part 31 than Uber Stories Part 30, what we got for you today, because here's the thing, man. If I incur any kind of troubles with my car, it really puts a damper. It really kills the vibe on being able to get stories, and I haven't had my car for three weeks. I've been going through this set of of just bullshit excuses as to why this body shop wasn't being able to get the work done in what they said would take a week. I was supposed to go out of town, come back, and the car was supposed to be ready to go. That did not happen. It ended up being pushed out by two more weeks while they had a bunch of different things that they, they were telling me as the reasons why. And so I didn't get my car back until last Friday and basically had just Friday and Saturday to drive. I drove those two days. So I did get some good stories. I've got one story in here today. I'm, it's going to blow your mind. I'm going to do the descriptions here in a minute so you know what you're getting. But um, I have less stories today simply because I drove less and I didn't get my car back. But now I got my car back. Everything's fine. We're all ready to go for Chicago next week. I'm really, really excited about that one. But um, yeah, today, here's what we got for you. These are the stories on today's episode. Cocaine Cowboy. Absolutely wild. A man recalls his involvement with a scandal so infamous in Kentucky that they've written books about it, and it's even getting its own movie. Drugs, murder, conspiracy, corruption. And that's only the beginning. Later... The same man recounts how him and a few others got their start in the drug smuggling business, often disguising themselves as Catholic priests or horse trainers to get black tar heroin across the border, and even going as far as posing as a federal agent and enlisting the help of two unsuspecting narcotics officers to rob the DEA. Wild. Absolutely wild. So we don't have as many stories today, but I swear to God, this one... I mean, the holy fuck power rankings, I, I'm i telling you, out of the thousands of rides that I've done, there's only really, I think, three or four stories that I've ever said, okay, this one counts as the holy fuck power rankings. This is like number one or number two or number three. This one definitely makes top three. No question about it. This is in the top three, may even be the number one. I don't know. We're going to have to really take a look at these rankings. But um, this is absolutely wild. So we're going to lead off with that story. And then um, I also have two other stories, one called Feel It. This is about a, a writer who was mourning the sudden death of his girlfriend. And I give him some real talk on why having healthy ways to cope with our emotions is key and why 
why even as hard as we try to avoid it, at some point, we're just going to have to feel it. Whatever it is, you're just going to have to feel it and sit with it. And that's the only way to process things and move on from them. And then third story on today's episode, good versus bad influences. A rider down on his luck gets a dose of real talk when it comes to identifying good influences versus bad influences in life. And then finally, this one isn't a story, but I've been doing a lot of reflecting lately. And June is always a time where I have... When I, when I look back at it, it's funny because not only it's an important month in my life because, hey, I was born, so we also have a my 29th birthday coming up here pretty soon. Hey, actually this Saturday, so I'm kind of excited about that. Um, but obviously June is a big month because of that. But I look back and June is a month where I've done some really life-changing things. And I don't know if it's because... It's just a coincidence because of the timing of all this stuff. I don't really believe in coincidences. So I think there's something deeper at play there. And it just seems to happen that I have these really large things happen in my life that kind of shape the way that it's it it's it it continues, right? After having the most life-shaping event possibly happen, which is me popping out of the womb and probably running my mouth. I probably came out running my fucking mouth. And that's just the way that I was just the way that I am, you know, the kid with the motor mouth. It's 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 like started from day one, you know? They made me what I am. They just found me like this. I was ready. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's me. That's it. But uh three years ago in June I quit my job in the Bay Area and I moved back and I announced that actually I, I waited until I was physically leaving the state to even tell anybody besides my immediate family and some of my best friends, hey, I, I had some fun, but uh, the fun ended and now I'm done with it. The moment I stop having fun with it, I'll be done with it. So I'm leaving. And I wrote this article, um, this blog post that I titled Why I'm Leaving California and uh, I want to read that and I want to revisit some of the promises I made to myself because uh, I kept my word and I'm really proud about that. And coming full circle on all this stuff, it's like, you know, if I say something's going to happen, if I said it a minute, there's no way around it. And when I say things to myself, you know, I try my best, right? Sometimes we can't make good on our promises, but um, I really, as I've gotten older, have realized the importance of keeping your word and if you say something, then do it, right? Words have to have meaning. And I'm really proud of myself for, for making good on that promise to myself, right? I think a lot of times we are the ones that we let down the most, or at least that's certainly been true in my life. And um, this is a time and a moment that I'm really proud to kind of give myself a hug and be like, you did it. You did it, motherfucker, so congratulations. So, uh, yeah, I'm in a good mood about that. And then having the birthday coming up, I'm having some cool stuff go on at, at the end of the month, and um, probably none as cool as the Uber Story Chicago thing, which is like our third month now. If you're just getting in, joining us for the first time, you know, we've been in Nashville last month. That was an awesome episode. I highly recommend you guys go and check that out. And we were in Atlanta for April. And along the way, I've had these moments that have happened that have uh, been like, hey, this is it, man. Stick to this path. One of the most life-changing or at least life-encouraging um, moments or, or assuring moments 
happened in that Uber Stories Atlanta episode. So definitely go and check that out. I'm not going to tell you what it is. That's called a tease. But I met somebody really famous and they were really into what I was doing. And they bought me a drink, me and my boy. And they were like, I fuck with you, man. So keep doing this shit. And I was like, oh my God, this is like the universe telling me it's speaking to me. She's saying, keep going. So I'm like, I bet I'm going to do it. I'm going to double down. And um, what what I did, you know, it's funny because now I'm like, um, I'm thinking about some of the things that I did for the first time in the Uber Stories Nashville episode. And, and it was during that episode that I said, hey, listen, I tape every ride. I don't always do stuff with the audio outside of listening to it so I can transcribe it and then tell that story exactly how it happened, right? How things were said, what was said. There's no possible way I could remember everything that's said or how it's said during a day where I'm doing 15 rides or even six, man. I mean, I, I, I can barely remember, like I walk into rooms routinely and go, what the fuck was I in here again for? <laughs> you know, it's like one of the most uh, unredeeming qualities I have about myself is like some of my short-term memory stuff. So if I tried to sit here and recount all the things that I talk about with people or not even like what we talk about, but specifically like how we talk about it and what they say. I can remember general themes and topics, but you know some of the things, some of the power um, that I, I think when I'm retelling something off of memory alone, sometimes it's not always as powerful as the message delivered exactly how it was, the real talk. And so during the Uber Stories Nashville episode, I went ahead and said, hey, listen, there are certain parts of these stories where it's only going to be enhanced if I give you guys the audio. I just, you know, there's certain things that I don't want to have to repeat. There's certain things that I can't repeat. And so it was like a, a kind of a groundbreaking thing. It was the first time. And so moving forward, I got some good feedback on that and said, you know what? I think I'm just going to continue to do that. Not Maybe not with every story. And you guys are going to have to bear with me for a little bit because the audio is from a handheld tape recorder. And I think it sounds pretty good. But um, again, as I continue to save up money and buy certain things that I need, one of those things is, is going to be uh, very legitimate, very good microphones to mic up the back and then eventually hidden cameras as well. And we're grinding till we get to that point, but right now we're making do with what we got. So a year from now, I can promise you that it'll sound a little bit better. I still, you know what, I, I think the audio sounds fine. Honestly, I do. I don't think it sounds terrible. Um, I've got a pretty good recorder, and I think it's kept in a place where you can pretty clearly hear definitely me um, some of the people in the back, uh, the, in this first one, the audio is very clear because my man sat up front with me, right? The cocaine cowboy. How could I deny him, right? Um, so it just, you know, look, I, I think it sounds fine, but uh, I, I can promise you that one day it's going to sound better, okay? But when you hear the very first story and some of the sound bites that I'm going to play for you guys, your jaw is going to hit the fucking floor. Like, this guy, I mean, you know, when you say, man, this guy's a character, or, oh, she's such a character. Like, you say that because sometimes you meet people and you can't even believe that they're a real person. You're like, where the fuck did you find this person? 
<laughs> my guy in this first story is one of those people. He's a character, okay? For a reason. He absolutely earns that moniker. But we're going to get to that um, really quickly before we jump into the stories. I've given you guys the descriptions. I want to also reset here and tell you guys, I was talking a second ago about saving up money and being able to buy certain things. Well, my friends, I am, uh, you know, if you're, again, if you're joining me at this time, you, you've kind of been watching this the Ascension, right? And I actually had one of the nicest reviews. I posted it. I don't know if you guys are following along on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at BennyTomp18. The show page is at RealTalkWBennyT. It's on Facebook and Instagram. So definitely go and follow that. If you haven't, and I'm team follow back and I'll hit you back up. But um, there was somebody that left me one of the kindest reviews ever. And they were like, dude, Keep it up. That was the name of this. And they said, I found this podcast randomly as I was looking for crazy stories. I just heard you talking about your numbers going from 30 listeners to like 300. I just want to say, you got what it takes, so keep going. It's obvious you really care about people and your energy is contagious. Whatever you're doing, it's working. Just keep going and I'll brag later that I was listening to this before anybody else. (laughs) Why? Why do they have to make me cry on my own show? I I don't know why, but I love it. I love it. So thank you. Thank you so fucking much to the person that left that. But it's exciting because, yeah, I was talking about that on one of these last episodes. And over the over the course of the last year, right, I was talking about like, hey, June has heavy significance to me because we just hit our one-year anniversary with this show and this concept and everything that has grown since then until now, and it's awesome. And one of the things that I set as something that wasn't necessarily an immediate goal, but was definitely like a a tier two or tier three goal, so looking out at the future, this was something that I wanted to do. Well, I'm very, very proud to announce that I have hit that level, I've hit that goal, and now I have actualized and realized this thing that I was talking about, which was fucking genius, and I want to go ahead and give myself another hug, okay, and a pat on the fucking back. Yeah, I deserve it, because I set up these QR codes that link to my link tree, and my link tree is where you will find All of the different links to the podcasts, wherever they're available, Google, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, believe it or not, has a podcast arm, and then all of the social media accounts that I would want to drive people to. Well, you know, and I was kind of going back and forth. I'm like, well, what do I do? Because I have these two different QR codes that I'm having. I'm literally just asking people. In Atlanta, I had created these QR codes. And as I walked up and down the Atlanta Beltline, I would be like, hey, do you listen on Apple Podcasts or do you listen on Spotify? And I would go through my phone and find the QR code and have them scan it. Well, now it doesn't even matter where they listen to it. All they have to do is scan this one code, this one link, and then it'll bring up 15 different links, right? And then they can find it and whatever they want to follow and subscribe to is always appreciated. The more you can do, the better, so thank you. But I now have taken that QR code and printed them onto these stickers, these three by three inch stickers, and 
I'm telling you, it is literally something out of the New Age guerrilla marketing textbook. I wrote my own chapter in it. I bet you didn't know that about me. I don't know how I found the time to do it. I guess I'm just kind of in the moment living day to day, and then I just kind of update this thing like a fucking personal blog. (laughs) And I have uh, 700 of these things. And I've gone around and I'm going strategically area by area. And I went ahead on Monday. They got delivered. And Monday of this week, I took a handful of them. I took a lot of them. And I walked around and I hit the walking bridge. I hit 4th Street Live. And I hit a lot of different crosswalks and electrical boxes at intersections downtown. And that's only one. I'm going to be hitting Bargetown Road area. I'm going to hit St. Matt's, Prospect, J-Town, Middletown. And anywhere you see stickers or graffiti or high traffic areas, I'm slapping one of these stickers on them so people will scan it. And, you know, people will scan anything. Bus stops, by the way. Um, Downtown, people are sitting at bus stops with these little kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like the little glass encasement that uh, is over the bench. Well, right at eye level on these things, I slapped a sticker on there. So when people are sitting there at the bus stop, they're just kind of like listening to something. They're sitting there waiting and... Then they see out of the corner of their eye this QR code. They look at it. There's a logo on it. Real talk with Ben Tompkins, it says. Huh, I wonder what that is, they think. Well, it's a QR code. And so intuitively, they take their phone, they scan it, and then boom, Benny T pops up on their screen and they're free to follow all of the different links that are on there. So it's magic. It's beautiful. And when I go to Chicago and when I go to these other cities, that is going to be something that I'm doing when I'm walking around handing out business cards is slapping these stickers on high traffic areas. And my friends in other cities are so kind. Shout out to Justin Stein, my boy, who made this whole thing possible, by the way. I'm going to be sending out stickers to friends in other cities so that they can do the same thing. Which, if you really think about it, what a good fucking friend to take some of these and take their time, the most valuable asset that they have, their time and their energy, in walking around to stick some of these up for your boy. That's love that I'm, I'm lucky to know and have in my life. That is a level of love that I wish for you, that you have friends as good as this guy and some of my other friends who have also volunteered in big cities to do that. But this is something that I've been talking about wanting to do. And as I'm um, really putting a focus and an emphasis now on, you know, the next year, what's next? What's next? What's down the pipe? What are the next moves? Um it's stuff like this. It's been saving up money. It's it's doing stuff like this. It's the expansion to new cities. Eventually, it's going to be continuing to sell sponsorships. And I'm working very hard to start locking some of those down so that I don't have to call these the mixtape days anymore, even though they will be. And once we get to a Spotify or iHeartMedia or Audible or somewhere like that, and we've sold the concept of this show and I'm doing it and getting paid you know, some good money to do it, um, you know, Affording health insurance, like these days are coming, but in in the um, in the meantime, these little things as they happen feel like massive wins because they are, and so I'm celebrating that. And I got these QR codes, and it's going uh, it's going pretty well. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, before we jump into these stories, really quickly, Uber stories submissions, guys, ladies, 
I know you have stories, and I want to hear them, and I want to tell them. So please email me at realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com. Send in your Uber stories. I would absolutely love to get this segment rolling, and I haven't gotten any yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting patiently. I know that as more people begin listening to the show, more people begin finding the show. I mean, just like that person was saying that left the review, they typed in crazy stories and my podcast came up, right? More people are going to continue to find this show and eventually as they come, this thing that I've been building and that you guys and girls have been hearing me talk about building, if you build it, they will come. That is going to be a segment that starts to take off. And you can be a part of it before that happens. You can be the, the day ones sending me your Uber stories. I'm sure that you have them. I won't say your name. If you say leave out my name, you don't even have to say what city it happened in. But I know you've got some crazy fucking stories and I really would love to get that segment rolling. So send me those and also your life advice. Send me that, okay? You're gonna hear that I'm giving life advice more often than not, I mean, sometimes it's, the, you know, the, 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 and this is what's cool, is like the very first story that you're going to hear on today's episode is really just, it's, it's like an interview, right? It's like this guy's telling me a story and I'm asking all these different follow-up questions and getting more of the story, getting him to paint the picture, and then the two stories on the back end are a person that's sharing their story with me and then me giving them some life advice, and I want to be able to do that for people that don't have the opportunity to ride in the car, for my people that have met me along this journey, maybe in Atlanta or in Nashville, or if they've been out of towners coming to Louisville and they live in Indy or Detroit or wherever the hell that people live, I want to extend the opportunity for, for, for everybody to be able to connect and send in your life advice. Just be like, you know, send me whatever you got. Okay, and I'm going to keep it real with you. So I'll give you some real talk, but send it to me. Same email, realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com. And I'm also, last thing, um, I'm thinking about getting my life coach certification. And I'm not actually thinking about it. I'm going to do it. Again, this is something that I just had this thought a couple of weeks ago. And this isn't something that is an immediate need. But I think it's only going to help me uh, continue to establish credibility. And I just, a lot of what I'm doing sometimes with these rides is life advice. It's life coaching, right? And so to be able to earn a certification and study to earn that certification and feel legitimate, okay, um, in coaching some of these people, I think is only going to be a better negotiating tool for me whenever I am trying to sell this thing. And I'll be like, hey, look, like I got a certification in this. Here's the best thing. Uh, I was listening to a podcast episode where um, somebody was talking about the best ways that young people can set themselves apart in terms of their career. Because now they, you know, they were saying, look, everybody knows how to use an iPhone. I have nine-year-olds at my kid's school that are learning how to code. Um, you know, people are figuring this stuff out and mastering these skills, which used to be and feel really specialized to where you could get paid off of knowing how to do this one thing that no one else is really good at. Now, right, it's how do I distinguish myself? How do I stand out from the pack? People that go and get their NBAs, that's an amazing accomplishment. And I don't want to belittle that at all. But nowadays, you can get an MBA from anywhere 
online, in person, and more and more people are doing that. And so even though it, it is very, um, it certainly sets you apart, those three little letters cer- certainly set you apart from what you're able to negotiate when it comes to talk about salary because you're like, hey, I deserve to get paid more because I have these three little letters. That's all life is. The Life is all about the little letters that are associated with your name. Think about it. RN, BSN, MBA, PhD, even Mr. and Mrs. if you really want to get technical. It's all about the letters, man. And the more letters that you can achieve, the better off you're going to be. So whether it is just getting certified in certain areas of your profession and your field, do it. Those are invaluable, my friends. So wherever you can find certifications, doesn't matter what it is, just find a certification for something that's going to set you apart because if it's two blind resumes on a desk, you never know. It might come down to that. And then, oh, by the way, person A has these little letters. They have these little things. They've got the certification. It's just better ways to sell yourself. And I was thinking, what are some certifications that I could get right now? that apply to what I'm doing, right? I mean, I guess I could take a good driver class and that's awesome, but I mean, I got whip game, you know? Not saying I can't improve, but like what would really serve me best? Well, I think getting a life coaching certification would actually serve me pretty well. Um, And it'd be good to have in case I ever want to fall back on it, right? I mean, I don't plan on pursuing a life coaching career, building clients, advertising myself in that way. No, I want to do life coaching, but if I'm going to be like if I'm going to be doing that either for free with, you know, friends or for free driving for Uber and doing these stories, why not? Right? It just makes sense to me. It makes total perfect sense to go ahead and just grab that certification. So, if I was going to be doing one and pursuing that career, I probably would want to do one of the most expensive, one of the most widely recognized class certification courses that you can do. And they're very expensive, by the way. Um, But there is no governing body over life coaching. It's like the wild, wild west. You know, when you become a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you have to pass certain standardized tests that are recognized by a governing body. Life coaching doesn't have that. That's why you see so many people, half of them are full of shit, half of them are really good, but there is no one program that you have to take. It doesn't matter. So for what I'm doing, because I'm not trying to be the the, the, the best life coach available or go down that path and pursue that as mine, I just need that certification. So I'm going to take one of the ones that are a little bit cheaper, but that still require coursework and one-on-ones and mentorship and I'm going to do that. Now it takes a little bit of time, so obviously that's what I'm saying. It's going to, you know, it's it's one of those intermediary goals. I hope I said that word right. I think I did. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, I'm just I don't know. I'm I'm rambling and I'm sharing some stuff that uh that we're looking at here down the road, but whew, it's good stuff, man. All right. Who's ready for this first story because uh this will absolutely knock your socks off. You guys ready? All right. Without further ado, here we go. Cocaine Cowboy. When I tell you this guy was a character, I mean it. Not just for who he was in the 30 minutes that I spent with him, but spanning years of his life playing different roles, this guy was a character. 
He was a cocaine cowboy. He said he used to live in the West End for about 25 years, and he did tell me a couple of his best stories from living down there, but as we got deeper and deeper into the conversation, these stories I'm about to tell you were way better. He mentioned at some point that he had served some time in prison on some drug-related charges. So, after he told me the West End stories, which I thought were going to be the basis of, of, oh my God, he's telling me these stories and this is definitely podcast material. After we get through the West End stories, I said, all right, tell me about the drug days. Back in the drug days? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about those. This is where it gets wild. The circle that he refers to in that clip was an infamous drug smuggling ring called The Company. You hear him say it in that clip. And it was founded by one of the guys that he named, Drew Thornton. And Drew, The Company, and the scandal that ensued are detailed in the book that he mentioned, The Bluegrass Conspiracy by Sally Denton. He said The Bluegrass Connection, but it's actually Bluegrass Conspiracy. Keep in mind, this is all a true story. If you picked up the book and looked at the back of it, here's what it would say. When Kentucky Blue Blood Drew Thornton parachuted to his death in September 1985, carrying thousands in cash and 150 pounds of cocaine, the gruesome end of his startling life blew open a scandal that reached to the most secret circles of the U.S. government. The story of Thornton and the company he served and the lone heroic fight of state policeman Ralph Ross against an international web of corruption is one of the most pretentious tales of the 20th century. Now, I had never heard any of this stuff before this ride. And it happened here in Kentucky. And it makes me think of the old unsolved D.B. Cooper case. Now, for people who are my age, you may or may not remember this at all, okay? Because obviously none of us were alive when it happened. But if you remember the movie Without a Paddle, they go searching for this guy, D.B. Cooper, that they all grew up idolizing because he was like a fantasy. Because before the internet and before phones and before, like, there were things that happened. And it was like, did this actually happen? Was this person real? 
how would you verify it, right? That's that's just like a, a, a mind-blowing concept. But basically, this guy, D.B. Cooper, was out on the West Coast, somewhere in Oregon, parachuted to his death, had all this money that he had, uh, he had robbed, and he was never found. So people always speculated, and it's always, like, it's still an unsolved case because they never found the body or anything like that. But this is similar to that, but instead of getting away or... You know, who knows what happened to D.B. Cooper? People think he probably, you know, got eaten by bears or some shit. I don't know. But this time, they found the body. They found the body. So, upon further research, I learned that Drew was on a drug smuggling run from Columbia when him and a partner dumped packages of cocaine off near Blairsville, Georgia, set the plane to autopilot, and jumped. Except his parachute never opened, and he free fell to his death. His body was found in the driveway of a Knoxville, Tennessee resident, and the plane crashed over 60 miles away in Hayesville, North Carolina. At the time of his death, Thornton was wearing a bulletproof vest and Gucci loafers, and in possession of night vision goggles, a green army duffel bag containing approximately 40 kilos or 88 pounds of coke, valued at $15 million, $4,500 in cash, Gold, knives, and two pistols. <laughs> this is like some real deal shit, man. This is the guy that he named as being an associate with during the drug days. So when when I say the drug days, it wasn't like, man, I was doing some drugs back in the day. I call those my drug days. No, this motherfucker was in the shit with this guy, Drew Thornton, okay? So there have been a few books that have been written about Drew Thornton and the company, and his death also served as the inspiration for the story arc of season four of FX Network's Justified. Pretty significant, all right? Now, people who lived in the area at the time said that duffel bags of cocaine were literally falling from the sky. Now, of course, they didn't know that it was blow falling down on them, but when they <laughs> saw these duffel bags, they're like, I wonder what that could be, you know? And then they open it up and they're like, wow, it's not Christmas time. Now, <laughs> as if there aren't enough wild turns in all of those details, I, 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 I still don't, like, did that sink in? Like, am, am I just glazing over that and kind of, like, blowing right through this? Is this guy was involved in this thing that there was, like, famous books and TV shows that are written about it? Now, you're thinking, can it get any better than that? Is it more wild? Can it possibly go from an 8 to a 10? Yeah, try this one on for size, okay? Three months after this plane crash, a local hunter is walking through the woods and he finds a dead black bear in the Chattahoochee National Forest that's in northern Georgia. The cause of death? Cocaine overdose. The bear had found one of these duffel bags that Thornton had dumped which contained 75 pounds of 95% pure cocaine and ingested enough of it that it killed him. Now, what's really interesting, though, is that the local hunter who found it didn't report this to the authorities right away. He just told some friends about it, and after about three weeks, word of mouth had spread this story and it had gotten back to a game and fish agent who then handed it off to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and that's when the body of the bear was found. The chief medical examiner estimated that the bear only had about three or four grams of coke in his bloodstream, which begs the question, where the fuck did that 
other 75 pounds of cocaine go? The bear obviously didn't eat it all, right? Another mystery. It's just like, oh my, there's just so much. It's like, there's so many different moving parts of the story. And it's like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know where even, but like, (laughs) it just keeps on getting thicker and thicker and thicker. Now, here's really the best part, okay? This bear, this bear alone is infamous or famous. I don't I don't know, okay? I mean, obviously, he's got a reputation that he's a big partier, right? Doing all this cocaine out in the woods just by himself. Maybe you got a problem there, my friend. But here's the real talk. They're making a movie about the bear. This was just recently announced, so there aren't a ton of details on it. But the movie is going to be titled, literally, I'm not shitting you, Cocaine Bear and Elizabeth Banks is set to direct. So they're making a movie about the bear. Now, I don't know how much, it's not going to be like that movie Little Bear where it's just about a bear the whole time or the Jungle Book, right? But I know that the bear is going to be a central figure in this thing. And I would imagine it probably is going to tie in like start with the bear and then work backwards. And then it's going to chronicle Drew Thornton and his associates, and the company, and their exploits of being drug smugglers back in the day, the drug days. This guy's like, (laughs) and I love the way in that sound clip, he's like, the drug days. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like, when somebody answers me like that, that's when I'm like, oh, fuck, I know this is going to be good. Let me just get comfortable in here. Do I have some popcorn in the car? No, fuck. I need to start bringing some skinny pop in the car because I'm like, damn, if somebody answers off the rip like that, this shit's going to slap. And that story definitely did. But you know what? The best part of this is there's a part two because that was only one of the stories that he gave me while we were on our way to his home. Those were not his only experiences with drug smuggling. Lucky for me and the content for this podcast and for you because this one even gets a little bit, I mean, it it just, you know, I'm just going to tell it, okay? I'm just going to go. Before any of that stuff went down, He told me about how him and a few others got their start in the smuggling business. So he was sharing origin stories at this point, right? This guy's like a supervillain. And he told me that they would often disguise themselves as Catholic priests or horse trainers to get black tar heroin across the border. Listen to this. Yeah, we used to, back in the mid-70s, hell, me and I used to go into Texas down in Grand Valley, down around Brownsville, Texas, and uh, border towns there in Brownsville, you got a little town called Renosa and Matamoros, and uh, I had a guy that was in the Marine Corps with, he, had, he was from Chicano, and he had family in Renosa. Buy that pot for like seven, eight dollars a pound. You know. <laughs> crossing, crossing, you know, the Rio Grande River, which came up to maybe your knees if it was a wet month. Right, right. Because the Rio Grande River down in that area ain't very deep at all. <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, he's to 
said pot when he had a guy. Oh, Harry Rose out of Detroit, Michigan. He was a father of a buddy of mine I was in the Marine Corps with. And uh, his, his, his dad was a Catholic priest. Really? And uh, yeah, and back in the 70s, the only thing you had to worry about uh, when you were bringing pot from Mexico through South Texas, you don't just had to worry about the uh, uh, immigration stuff, the agricultural stops. Never had to worry about immigration or border patrol. People you had to worry about was the uh, agricultural people. But anyway, they'd see uh, Harry, old Mike Zim's daddy, with <laughs> that collar around it. And he'd be loaded down with five, six hundred pounds of pot in suitcases, <laughs> man. And them agriculture guys just flag him right on through. Come on. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, <coughs> and there was a, was a couple episodes where I, uh, trade myself as a horse trader. And I'd go in other border towns and other towns get El Paso and the border town in El Paso is uh oh what the hell's name border town real famous border town oh man I can't even think of it anyway we would uh I was copping heroin old Mexican heroin. Is that like black tar? Yeah. yeah. That was. So that's like the most pure form? Yeah. Anyhow, we could stick it up in the horse's ass and uh, pack it uh, black tar heroin up in prophylactic rubbers. Mm-hmm. And ship, put them up in the horse's ass and uh, feed the horses. Real strong constipation that would make them not uh, make them constipated, not uh, laxatives. Yeah, not yeah. laxatives. Right, right, right. So they would shake your right, drugs. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Because you had to keep the the uh, with again with the agricultural people, you had to keep it in livestock for 24 hours. You know checking for diseases and stuff. And there wasn't that much checking in the 70s. Or, you know, 73 to 77. There wasn't that much checking going on, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we used to pack them horses, man. Horses can hold up close to a pound of that black tar heroin. Which was inside Jeff's track. What would it sell for? A load, like one load when you would come back? Oh, I'd take it. I'd take it. There wasn't a market for it in Louisville. So yeah. I had to take it. Harry, the preacher, mm-hmm. not that, but the priest, Mike's uh, father, he had somehow, he knew or knew of somebody that was connected in Detroit that where there was an outlet for it. And hell, three back pounds of heroin and a couple of horses. 
you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. Did you have to, did you ever go with the horses to Detroit to see it all the way through there? No, no. I did, um, once we crossed, once I crossed into the United States, uh, on, uh, into Arizona, you know, we, that would truck the horses in horse trailer back into Texas because Texas was part of the route. Possum had a connection with somebody at the King's Ranch. You, know, you ever heard of the King Ranch? Yeah. Well, that's what we was able to get rid of the horses. Get the get the heroin out of the horses that the intestinal drive. Catch an airplane in Dallas, fly back to Detroit. Fuck taking them horses all the way back to Detroit. Fuck. Nah, I dropped them off in Texas. But I played the whole role, man. Let I me mean, tell you, I had a crew cut haircut, cowboy boots, you know, the western tight shirts. And I had played it out, man. I had to back in them days. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah. You missed that look. <laughs> so how long did it take before uh, you had feds knocking at the door? I mean, what happened when you guys got busted? Okay. Crack wasn't invented yet. Okay. 
only place I knew to get rid of that kind of weight was in New York. When uh, I made the connection in New York, I sold that fucking cocaine in them evidence packages. Still in the fucking evidence packages. That's what got me busted. Because the guys I sold it to kept them. Kind of like a souvenir. They get busted. They get busted. Yeah, they get busted. And they discover them uh, old evidence packages, pouches. Mm-hmm. And they rolled on me. Were those packages uh, like specific to the post office that you were working at? Yeah. They just easily just tried. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, I mean, the post, it didn't have any type of postal uh, identification. It was uh, the DEA out of Louisville, Kentucky. But they told, they told, when they rolled, they rolled on me. Right. My name. That's what got me busted, selling that shit in them evidence packages. <laughs> Stupid. Well, the D, so the, the packages and the DEA stuff. Yeah. Did that come... I'm confused as to like how you got it from how, the DEA. I got it from the DEA. Yeah. I went up there as because I changed the identification on the guy out of Washington that was supposed to come pick it up, and uh, I changed the identity by putting myself in disguise. Changed, you know, I had new letterheads made up, retyped everything. Even uh, solicited two narcotics officers out of the Louisville Metro Police to help me escort the contraband to the airport. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he was proud of that, you know. And I'm like, dude, I literally, you know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about um, him grabbing these agents and them thinking that it's real and like back in the day you could just literally do that I mean you could literally be like I'm this person and they'd be like well <laughs> great nice to meet you like there's no there was no way to check it out there was no way to check stuff out that's just like mind-blowing now that we have facial recognition technology that exists these days Ah, uh, man. But, like, you can literally get away with this shit. And it reminds me, like, thinking back to Catch Me If You Can, the, one of my all-time favorite movies, Frank Abagnale Jr., Leo DiCaprio's character that he plays, he plays, like, five different characters. He's a doctor. He's a lawyer. He's a pilot for Pan Am. Like, he does all these things just basically changing little numbers and little letterheads and exactly what this guy was saying that he did. So... He, he, I mean, yeah, he defrauded the DEA and everything, but also that's kind of a fucking baller move. I mean, it's a criminal move, no doubt, and it's, it's, but that's a baller move. That's bold, Cotton, to fucking be like, hey, not only am I going to pose as a DEA agent, I'm going to walk in here and grab two of these guys, like, from the feet up, from the feet up, Tony. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> Amazing, amazing, all right?
And that's like that's the whole point when Christopher Walken's like, you know why the Yankees win? And he's like, Dad, the Yankees win because they got Mickey Mantle. And he's like, no, the Yankees win because no one can take their damn eyes off of those pinstripes from the feet up. That's literally what this guy was doing. Um, so, man, I, you know, and, he, and listen, the, he did say that when he got busted, he ended up getting sentenced to 20 years and he went to prison and he served 61 months, so just a little bit over five years. But, uh, yeah, he did go to jail. He did, uh, you know, serve his time for that. But, man, I mean, just the, the horse trainer thing is, like, brutal, man. Just brutal. I mean, for my animal activists out there, I'm very, very sorry you had to hear that. But, um, man, that was just, <laughs> like, uh, when, I, when I take that quote alone about... <laughs> The, the a horse can hold up to whatever he said right there and they're in their track and like I stick that on one of these graphics that I made um that is I I, I, I can't imagine somebody doesn't look at that and want to go oh man I gotta hear what this story is about like and it, it's absolutely mind-blowing so these I mean these two stories alone and like you got to understand for every hundred rides I give to people I usually have like 10 or 15 of those conversations that end up becoming stories that make it onto the episode. But it's not very often that I get a story that makes me go, holy fuck. And this story right here is one of them. This is like a one in a hundred, even more than that. One in a couple hundred. And honestly, I mean, this is a one in a thousand. This is a one in a thousand at this point. I mean, I've done like a couple thousand rides this one absolutely ranks amongst the top three. I'd have to, uh, we're going to update, we're going to update and I'll give you guys, you know, that's, that's actually, I should do that as an episode, just the holy fuck rankings, top five most wild stories that I've ever done on this show or gotten on this show. We'll do that soon. We'll do that soon. But man, I got to tell you, that is, that is up there for sure. Feel it. Loss is a hard thing to process especially sudden loss. And in the context of this story, especially the sudden loss of life. And despite our best attempts to ignore our emotions or stuff them down with food or drugs or alcohol, eventually they're going to come up. So that's why learning healthier and better ways to cope with the challenges that we're faced with in life is key. As at some point, you're going to have to embrace it and feel it. Whatever it is, you got to feel it. And oftentimes, we know this stuff. It's advice we'd give to someone else if they were in our shoes. But we all need reminders. We all need some real talk. And in this piece of audio, you're going to hear me give it to this dude. He needed it. As soon as he hopped in the whip, I started the ride by saying what I always say to my people. How you doing? Here was his response. Uh, trying to drink forget a girl right now <laughs> you know how it is I do probably did it definitely got my house again I'm not gonna say that how recent was the breakup uh, recently when I break up was uh she passed away on yeah, I'm sorry to hear that yeah so she went out here messing with these guys in the streets and stuff thought and one of them tried to give her drugs and she ended up doing them and they said fuck the doctor in the house the press house and I was like oh well, yeah, guess I've been drinking my way out of it you know what I'm saying but it was a little different life I would say to you. <laughs> but, yeah, different kind of thing. This is a safe space people share. You wouldn't believe the things people share with me, so it's all good. Um, did she shoot up some bad shit? 
apparently she did dope or something. They said, God, I don't know how she did it or what, because I didn't get to see her. They didn't let me in the house whenever I came to the scene where it happened at. And they didn't want to call up the autopsy when said overdose. And they didn't tell me what the hell was wrong with her or what she had did. They said that she just did drugs and that she overdosed in there. And I was like, can I go in there and see her? And now I see her at the funeral. Originally, I was talking to like, man, it's kind of hard to be dealing with that. You feel me? Honestly, keep it right. I was about to marry that girl. How long you guys been together? Uh, four years. How recent was that? Uh, like last week. The funeral or that? Oh, the funeral was yesterday. Wow. Man, that's heavy. Well, you know, I feel like I should probably tell you that there's definitely better ways to. Uh, I'm not judging the way you're handling it, first and foremost, but there's definitely better ways that you could deal with it because eventually, you know, what you're doing now is just kind of delaying it. You're putting it off, right? And drinking is only going to make you feel numb to it for a little bit, but unless you keep drinking or like, you know, people who use drugs, when they continue to drug, like eventually you're left with everything that you've been trying not to feel. Like you're gonna have to feel that stuff at some point. So it's better to just sit with yourself and feel it and grieve and cry and just let it out, right? And then try your best to move on. But if you just keep drinking about it, I mean, you're, you're still gonna be the same person with the same problems tomorrow. You'll just be sober and then you'll be like, fuck man, unless you keep drinking. But like, you see what I'm saying? Like that's a, that's a, a, a ride that you're getting on that has no end in sight for people and can lead to some really bad things for you as well. This is what I do, man. <laughs> this is what I do all day. I love you fucking guys. You know, I don't want to see you guys out here fucking struggling. Appreciate it, dog. That's real. You hear what he said right there? That's real. I'm like, man, if you only knew, you know? That is real. And that's moments like that are why I do this. Because I'm thinking to myself, man, if I don't say this stuff to him, who is? You know? Like, if I don't keep it real with people, I hope that they have people in their life that are willing to do that stuff and say that stuff because it is hard. It is hard, right? I mean, that can be a touchy, that could have blown up in my face, right? And especially that's kind of why I said, like, hey, listen, I just want you to know that I'm not, I don't think that I'm better than you by saying this stuff. I don't, okay? Trust me, I got my own fucked up issues I'm dealing with. I got my reasons that I try and drink to forget about things too, my friend, okay? So I think everybody can relate to that part of it. We all handle that differently. Some people shop and spend. Some people eat their feelings. I'm one of those people. Some people will drown their sorrows. Like, however you deal with it, there are better ways to deal with it, right? And in this case, that's how he was choosing to deal with it. And I'm thinking, man, I hope that he has somebody in his life that that is able to kind of see that and tell him that. But if I don't say that to him, who's going to, you know, some people don't have those people in their life. And not only that, now this is really what's special and unique about this is it gets back to this phenomenon that I talk about all the time, which is the great part of the show is that we'll tell a stranger anything. We will literally tell somebody something about our life that we won't share with our friends and our family because we think I'm never going to see this person again. So what the hell, right? And the reason I bring that up 
is because maybe he wouldn't have told his friends or family. Maybe he does have those people in his life, but he doesn't he wouldn't share that with them. Like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm drinking to forget about this thing that happened. Maybe he wouldn't admit that to the people that are closest with him. But so that's why I, I see myself as like, okay, well, you know what? This person shared with me something, felt comfortable sharing something with me. And so now I feel like I've got an obligation to say something, you know, and give him that real. And the fact that he was like, that's real. I'm like, hot dog, that's what we do, all right? And this story, I mean, it, it it's, it's tough to listen to, man. Um, he said that the guys that she was with blocked him on social media and he doesn't know how to get a hold of them. And I asked if anybody else overdosed or if it was just her. And he said it was only her. But he really didn't have any other details other than that. And I kind of laughed when he said, yeah, they blocked me on social media. Because I'm thinking, like, dude, this is Louisville. Like, you could go and kick these dudes' doors down. Like, you know where they live. You probably know people that they went to school with. You could figure out this shit. Like, go and pay them a visit, man. You know? And uh, I'm not condoning violence or anything okay i didn't say that all right let's be clear about that no incriminating uh, statements made by your boy but i'm just saying hey you know go pay this person a visit maybe and see what's up we talked about it some more and um you know after a, a, an appropriate amount of time or an amount of time that i felt was appropriate i didn't want to keep asking questions about it right so because i didn't want that to be like the whole ride, and he really, you know, look, he was struggling with it. So I didn't want to keep poking and prodding there when I could tell he's obviously hurting, you know? So we talked about when it it, uh, it felt like an appropriate amount of time, and then when I kind of felt that it was time to move on, I transitioned the conversation into the NBA playoffs, and we talked about his favorite teams and some U of L and UK stuff. And when we reached his final destination, I was like, yo, man, stay up, feel it, feel this stuff, okay, and just take it one day at a time, and I really hope that it helped. Good versus bad influences. There's an old saying that I just spoke about in last week's episode that says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The people that you surround yourself with are going to rub off on you. It's going to happen, but is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Influences are a huge key to life. I remember another something that one of our counselors from high school used to say every single morning when he did the morning announcements. Right before he signed off, he would say, if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. Shout out to Senior Terry. Think about that shit. That's deep. If you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. Wednesday words of wisdom. You heard it here first. And I heard it there. So I got a shout out to my OG right there. But all of these themes are at play here because this story is about a guy who's struggling to get his life on track but keeps fumbling when it comes to the company that he keeps. And in this audio, you're going to hear me give him the realest talk I could on good influences versus bad influences. We were on our way to the Greyhound station and he told me that he was headed down to Georgia for a job. And he had everything that he owned, all of his possessions, in a duffel bag that he tossed in the trunk. He said he wasn't from here, but he said that the people he was living with in Kentucky had kicked him out. Why? 
They said he couldn't keep a job and that he ran out of chances. He said he moved here in October 2020 to live with his aunt and her six children who all had COVID at the time. He didn't know that before he got here. So he said he obviously got COVID and the first two months that he was here were basically lost while he was struggling to regain his health because he said he got really sick with COVID and then he got laid off from the job that he had when he first got here because he couldn't come to work. Once he started feeling better, he said he was able to get a couple jobs in warehouses, but at some point he totaled his car and then he had no way to get to work, so he was fired. And ever since then, the strikes against him kept piling up. He said he was going to Georgia because going back to Florida where his parents lived was out of the question. He said they kicked him out five years ago and he'd been homeless ever since. I didn't specifically ask why his parents kicked him out, but I guess sometime after he left their house, he was telling me another long story short about how he lost a job with Enterprise when things escalated between some of the roommates he was living with and one of them got their ass beat. Pretty bad. And the guy that got his ass beat, who my writer said was a pathological liar, then called the cops and made up a story saying everybody in the house was shooting at him with guns. So the cops roll up 12 deep, destroyed the entire house, and then, because of this, they all got evicted. And some of the people he was describing that lived with him in that place, man, I mean, these just didn't sound like stand-up guys. These did not sound like people that you would want to be living with. Now, maybe circumstance played a role in that, I don't know if this was some kind of a halfway home, but it didn't sound like an ideal living situation because the people he was describing, I mean, one of the people that he said that he lived with, he described as being a set tripper, which is when you claim to be a part of a gang or even multiple gangs, when in reality, you're not in the gang. And because of this, the gang that he was claiming to be a part of, they found out that he was saying this stuff and they killed his entire family, no questions asked. So, like, there's some elements at play here that you should not want to be involved with or even have proximity to. And I'm thinking, man, this guy has definitely had some shit luck, but it also sounds like he's not doing himself any favors by hanging out with the crowd that he's describing. So when he told me that the guy that got him this job in Georgia was an old friend and he was going to go stay with him, I asked him point blank, is this guy a good influence or a bad influence? Here's what he had to say. Uh, I say what's the difference? Oh, what's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. Bad influences will continue. Your luck will never turn around if you continue to surround yourself with people that in your gut you know are bad influences. Even if they offer you some type of benefit in the short term. Okay? In the long term, those people are not good for you. And you will eventually revert back to old ways and habits because you'll let your guard down and when you get around people that you've known for all your life that think that now that you guys are together again you can do the stuff that you've always done that'll start to lead you down some paths that it sounds like you're trying to move off of you know you're moving to Kentucky you're moving to Atlanta 
getting away from some of these people. But I'll tell you something, my friend. Anywhere you go, there you'll be. Think about that and let that sink in. And I don't, I don't, dude, I, like, I don't say this shit to sound superior or judge you or anything, because that's not what I do this for. That's not why I give people the real talk that I do. It's because I just want to see you thrive. I don't want to, I don't, I don't like hearing stories about people when they get in, they tell me, you know, all the difficulties they're facing in their life. Like, I want better for you, but you got to want it for yourself too. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think when I came on and closed that last rap that I did in the last story, I said one of the things that I wanted to say about this one, and I got these two things mixed up because I was trying to remember who I said the, um, you know, listen, I don't say this stuff to sound superior to you or sound like I know better or that I'm perfect or anything. I'm just, I'm just keeping it real with you, man. And the thing about the short-term versus long-term thing, I want to expand on that really quickly. What I meant is let's say this guy has a spot for my rider to crash, right? But this guy is not a good guy to be around. So even if it means suffering a little bit more in the short term, i.e. not having a place to immediately go and maybe having to go and live with anybody else that you could possibly think of or a shelter or somewhere that you don't have to be around this person who you probably know is not good for you but what other option does this guy have, right? No one wants to go to a shelter. No one wants to go and live in the streets. So if you've got a home or a roof to that that might be over your head, then you're going to take that. But um, those are the stakes that we're talking about here, right? But I'm like, man, even if this guy offers you some kind of a short-term benefit, in the long run, you know, you know that this guy is probably not good to be around. And the older that I get, the more I realize these people. I'm the more I'm able to identify these people. And you can spot real and fake from a mile away. And and on one of these episodes, you guys have heard me talk about, you know, it's funny when I run into a hater, when I run into somebody that is just negative energy, that's no good for me, I look at them and I think, you know, there you are. I look at them and I think, there you are. I was wondering when I would run into you. It's like a dialogue I'm having in my head with this person because I'm like, I've met you before. You take so many shapes and you you look so many different, you've looked so many different ways throughout my life, but there you fucking are. We meet again. My arch nemesis, my enemy, right? Everybody has that. But um, yeah, man, he uh, I dropped him off at the Greyhound station and... Um, you know, he was on to this next chapter in his life, but I just, you know, I I hope, I, I hope, and maybe for my more religious listeners out there, you can say a little prayer for this guy, because uh, he's starting a new chapter in his life, he's starting over, and I hope it goes well for him, and that he is able to figure it out, because that's, you know, that's the thing, is like, no matter how many times you strike out, as long as you don't do something that you really, really can't bounce back from, like, you know, murder or some really bad shit, if you're just fucking up with jobs or drinking or drugs and you just can't really seem to get your shit together, trust me, you can. It's going to take a lot of work. Sometimes more work for some of us, all right? But you can definitely get it 
together if you just continue to try. And and like that guy said, he was like, I'm just, you know, uh, I didn't put that clip in there, but I asked him, man, you've had some really shit luck. Like, what turns it around? And he said, just keep moving forward. I just got to keep moving forward, man. I just got to keep moving forward and realize between all these shitty moments that there is a life that's worth living, you know, because the good moments certainly outweigh the bad. You know, this is perspective I'm getting from a guy that said he's been homeless for five years. Like, there are people that live in mansions that need to hear that shit. And I hope that it does. You know, I hope that they they hear it because it's like, wow. You know, that gets back to my point is like you can I, – I think that you can stand to learn a little bit from somebody no matter what they do, no matter their life experience. I think you can learn a little bit from a lot of people. And this is one of those times where all this stuff kind of came full circle and I was just left – hoping as this guy got out of the car and grabbed his possessions out of my trunk, a duffel bag full of them, that he got onto that Greyhound bus and things are going to start to turn around for him if he's serious about making the changes that that he needs to make. If he goes down there and he just gets back on his bullshit and he's surrounded by bad influences, then probably going to be more of the same. And that's the facts of life, man. That's, uh, That's a story that's as old as time. But I hope that he gets his shit together. Why I'm leaving California. Now, this is not a story that I got in this last week. This is, like I said at the top, an article that I wrote, a post that I wrote, and I put it on a blog three years ago. And uh, at the time, I was really at a transition period in my life, probably one of the biggest transition periods in my life. Um, I, I don't do very well with those. I usually have to stumble around in a depression because I don't yet want to come to terms with the reality that things are going to have to change and that freaks me the fuck out. So I would rather not think about it for a little bit and kind of put it off. And just like I, that's why I was, you know, when I talk about, hey, sometimes at some point you're just going to have to feel it. Like once I, I do that and feel it now. I, I process things more quickly, and that's come with time and a patience with myself. But I can look back on different parts of my life. You know, what am I going to do after I stop playing college football? Where am I going to go to school? Like, is this really the end of me being an athlete? Graduating from college, what the hell am I going to do next? I want to. I don't want to stay in Kentucky. Like, where am I going to go? Coming back from California, being like, what the fuck do I do now? You know? And coming back from California was one of those points in my life where I didn't have it figured out, but I thought that I did, and uh, I made a lot of promises to myself leaving California and kind of made a plan of what I was going to do, and so I wrote down all these words, and um, it makes me very proud three years later to sit here and go, look at that. So this one's called Why I'm Leaving California. I'm renouncing all my possessions and moving to Nepal. Just kidding. But I am moving back to Kentucky. Here's why. This week is bittersweet for me because I'm leaving California. It's been almost three years since I moved out here in October 15, but I quit my job and I'm moving on. Trust me, I'm surprised too. I can't believe I'm choosing to leave the Bay Area either, but it's time. It's time to huddle back up, regroup, and take my career and my life in a different direction. When I meet people in the Bay and tell them I'm from Kentucky, they mostly say things like, wow, you're a long way from home. <laughs> and I laugh because I don't know how I ended up here either. But here I've been, 
grinding away in a collection of the most expensive cities and the most expensive housing market in the world. I'm barely 26 years old, and I did that. You know what's funny? When I was in college, it took some time to figure it out, but eventually I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Broadcasting and writing. I'm a natural-born storyteller and entertainer, so once I got to school and realized journalism accepted all of my energy, talents, and flaws, studying to become a journalist gave me this feeling like I was fulfilling my destiny, like I was becoming the person I was created to be. Not taking these feelings lightly, I did a lot of things before I graduated to build up my resume. I wrote for my school newspaper, spent time shadowing at local television stations, worked media relations for a minor league ball club, and by the time I was a senior, I had built a team and was hosting my own radio show at the university station. But after all that, I put my lifelong dreams on hold while I traveled the world and then moved to California. Throughout my senior year and after I had graduated, people always asked me what I wanted to do. And despite knowing that I had stumbled upon the career path that was uniquely my own, my response was always, move west. I didn't know how I'd do it, didn't know what it would look like, I just knew that I wanted to move west. So, I did. I looked for any legitimate jobs that were going to allow me to explore this path, and when a real opportunity presented itself, I seized it. That opportunity was with Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, the largest wine and spirits distributor in the United States. I packed as many bags as I could onto a Southwest flight, found a room for rent off of Craigslist, and I began the first chapter of my career. And for 14 months, I woke up at ungodly hours of the morning and hustled throughout the aisles of grocery chain accounts, stocking bottles, and selling in displays for the portfolio of brands I represented. It didn't take long before I proved myself to be a top rep in the most competitive stretch of territory in the entire industry, the Bay Peninsula. True story. And it was fine. I met some really dope people, and believe it or not, actually had a lot of fun on those early mornings. But I knew that it wasn't sustainable if I wanted to stay long term. And so, faced with the reality of finding another opportunity or packing my bags to return home, I leveled up. I found another sales position that allowed me to stay in the Bay Area, and for the last 15 months, I've managed the entire Northern California region, selling theater and performing arts equipment for the world's most renowned manufacturer in that space, Wenger and J.R. Clancy. I had to learn a brand new industry with lots of moving parts, and until our San Diego rep came on board, I was the youngest person the company had hired in my position. And you know what? I was pretty good at that too. Over a million and a half of products sold. I went from selling cases of wine and liquor to working alongside architects to integrate and specify Wenger and Clancy products on multi-million dollar projects, then negotiating at bid time with the GCs and construction managers on the jobs. I got the opportunity to educate groups of the top architects in the world on the dynamics of sound, storage solution, and designing musical rehearsal and performance spaces that promote and achieve critical listening. I worked on projects that made a real difference for students and professionals, young and old alike, and had positive impacts on their surrounding communities. And while I'm leaving behind a great position that offers a stable future, it's time for me to move on. The reason that I was willing to press pause on my lifelong dreams of becoming a broadcaster and a journalist was simple.
I was scared. I was scared that I might not ever make it to a major market like the Bay Area. I was scared that I might not ever make the leap to a big city. I never want to wake up a middle-aged man pissed at the world and anchored down with the realities of a wife or kids or life in general, wishing I had taken the opportunities to do the things that I've done over the last three years. I never want to wake up and wonder, what if? And I needed this. I needed to prove to myself that I could do it. And not just to do it, but to do it well, to succeed. Not for my family or my friends or my mentors, certainly not for my fucking haters, but to selfishly appease the self-conscious tint of me that wondered if I could. I needed to reach a point where I could proudly say I did. I made it happen for myself. And in your early to mid-20s, that's a pretty fucking cool thing to be able to say. That's what this has been about all along. Creating the blueprint and learning the skills necessary to sell myself, be myself, be confident in being myself. After all, that's what sales is. Confidence, familiarity, and the ability to articulate the features and benefits of the products or services or ideas that you're selling. I came to the Bay Area and I busted it all over Northern California for almost three years. I succeeded and I struggled in a profession that I never envisioned for myself, but I gained excellent experience selling myself and the products and services for the companies that I worked for. I dealt with the challenges of living by myself in a big city and figuring it all out on my own. And standing where I am now, I'm feeling like I've gained what I came out here hoping to find. The world-renowned philosopher Drake once said, the moment I stop having fun with it, I be done with it. And that's a perfect way to summarize how I began to feel. I'd get to an end of the week and ask myself, what do I have left to prove? What am I still doing here? Why am I doing this? Is this, do I even want to be here anymore? It's a juvenile notion to believe that you're going to wake up every day supercharged to go to work or that you'll enjoy every moment of your job. But if you have to ceaselessly convince yourself to make it through another week, just get through another week, just get through another day, it's another Monday, all right, now it's Friday, okay, great. It might be time to consider a change. It was for me, at least. That's how I reached this decision. It wasn't easy, but I was done negotiating with myself, and I was no longer willing to shy away from becoming who I'm destined to be, a prolific storyteller, entertainer, and writer. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a broadcaster, and I'm going to get paid for my writing. I'm going to work my way into an opportunity with a radio station, make the most of it, and be on my way. I don't know yet how I'm going to do it or what it will look like, whether it's as an intern working fill-ins, overnights, weekends, etc. I haven't gotten that far yet, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. And as for writing, my goal is to write some kind of a weekly column or be a regular contributor to a platform other than my own personal blog. My biggest goal in life, the one that scares me the most, is to not only write a book but have it published. And that's something I'm going to do as well. As I shake my hands with myself writing this and sharing it with you, that's a bet. I'm going to pour my soul into my craft, stay as unencumbered with things like wives and kids for as long as I can, and I'm going to climb as high as I can possibly go. And when I get there, I'll think back to these moments of uncertainty and transition, and I'll laugh that I ever doubted any of it for myself. I'll be able to say that I did it my way 
on my own terms and in my own time. It might sound idealistic, but after all, isn't that what we all hope for in our careers? An idealistic fantasy of what we have the potential to become? I think in college, people put a lot of time and energy into something they know they truly enjoy doing, and then for whatever reason, they don't follow through with it after they graduate. Life takes us on different paths, and I'm not going to speculate on anybody else's, but I know for me, a shade of me chickened out. A part of me chickened out. I was scared to go all in for the chase, and I still have those fears I mentioned earlier, but despite their best attempts to scare me away... I'm doubling down. I'm ready now. And I'm excited to begin writing this new chapter in my life. So, stay tuned, my friends, because it's going to be one hell of a story. I wrote that. I wrote all of that. That was very good, right? That was very good. And, uh, you know, the thing that I didn't write about and include there was my Golden Gate Bridge story. Um... This was not long after the spring of 2018 when I walked out to the Golden Gate Bridge and, and I was literally like, those questions that I was asking myself, you know, what do I have left to prove? Do I want to stay here anymore? Do I want to be here anymore? It wasn't just Bay Area. It was like on this planet, in this lifetime. Do I want this anymore for myself? I was really at that low of a point. And I just told myself, you know what? This was awesome. I loved California, but this isn't what I came out here to do, right? This was just a trip that I took that ended up becoming three years of my life, an amazing three years. But I never was meant to work in sales, selling some product for some other company that I just like, you know, found. Like, I'm not a career salesman, I don't think, unless I'm selling myself. Like, in that sense, I am. But I don't want to work for some big company that I'm just a cog in the wheel, just selling something, and I'm a fucking quota to somebody. That's fucking miserable, you know? And I, I'm lucky enough that I went out and did that for myself and found those opportunities and made those things happen for myself. So at 26 years old, I'm literally like, you know what? Fuck that cog in the wheel shit. I never, ever will be that. Like, I am so thankful that I went out and did that. And that's why I wouldn't change any of these things for the world because you guys hear me talk about this. Like, when you're willing to risk failure, falling flat on your fucking face, but you go for it, whatever it is, and you try it and you give it your best attempt and some things work out, some things don't. But that doesn't mean it was a failure. What you learned along the way is a success in and of itself. The fact that you were scared but yet applied yourself and tried it and made moves, that is a success in and of itself that should be celebrated no matter how big or small it is. Even something as stupid as trying a new food should be celebrated, right? But I was coming back and I was just like, you know, look, I reached really the end of my road. This is no longer for me. And why am I even here? Like, what am I going to throw myself off this bridge for? Because my job isn't working. Like, I don't enjoy working from this home office and selling this these products. Like, so what? That means I got to die? No, fuck that. That just means that I either need to find something else or go back to Kentucky and regroup. And it was going to be easier just to kind of huddle back up and go back to Kentucky. I wish I could have stayed in the Bay. Eventually, I would absolutely love to live there again, but for the moment, I stopped having fun with it, so I was done with it, and I moved back, and all those things that I wrote, you know, one of the first things that I did coming back to Kentucky was start writing for Mike Rutherford and contributing weekly throughout the football season to 
the Card Chronicle. And I was writing about the football team, covering the football team. I worked with ESPN when they came to uh, Lexington. And at the time, like that was like their 10-win season, 2018. And I got to go down there when they played Florida and work with the ESPN crew and do television utilities and get to be around, you know, that part of it. And um, I also, it wasn't long after, you know, 2018, I'm back, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. 2019, I'm around like, um, around Thanksgiving of 2018, Christmas of 2018, Man, you know, I I I absolutely <laughs> I walked into the radio station that I ended up hosting a show on because I couldn't get the motherfucker that owned it on the phone. I literally had to track this guy down and drive to the station where I knew that he would be, and it took me a couple of attempts because he wasn't there all the time, but I went and I connected with him in person and I was like, yo. It's not going to be that easy to get rid of me, man. I know that this is the place where a lot of people start. I don't care how shitty this station is or what I do or do not have in terms of resources, but I'm going to host a show on this thing, and I'm going to sell it. That was the deal. He's like, all right, well, if you can sell it, you can do it. And I'm like, bet. Four Roses Bourbon, you're now the presenting title sponsor. I'm like, awesome. So I sold that. I sold a couple of other ones, and then by the time March 2019 rolled around, that was when I was uh, I was first going on air to do my first shows, but all of that process happened throughout the latter part of 2018 because by Christmas time or Thanksgiving I was making the announcement like, "Hey, this was the deal." I came back, I started hustling, I was doing this different stuff, I was starting to do my own podcast. That's when I first started to buy the microphones and some of the equipment that I have now that I've only built on since then, and I was just like. I'm going to do this. And I literally, I did, man. I, I drove to the station and I refused to take no for an answer because what do I have to lose? Like I moved back from California to do this, right? So I'm like, fuck it, man. If this is what it takes, like if I got to go beat down this door, you know, fuck opportunity knocking, I'm going to go break that bitch down myself. Like that's sometimes the attitude that you got to take to this shit if you're really serious about it. And I did that. And then I hosted that show for a year. And... You know, I just feel like looking back on it, it's funny to read this thing and just, I just have so much resolve in these words. I'm like, listen, here's what's going to happen. And I manifested it for myself at that point. And like I said, I, I didn't have any idea how it was going to work out. And that's st- some of the same stuff that I say to this day. Like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know that it's going to happen because I'm that determined motherfucker that if you don't pick up my call, I will find you, motherfucker. I will come and I will pitch you and I will close you and it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what you do. I got you. You're mine. That is supreme confidence. And it's because I believe in myself so deeply that I know that things will work out. And not 100% of the time, still going to fail, still going to come short. But for the people that I'm intended to reach and for the people that I'm meant for, like it's going to happen. It's going to work. Things will pop, you know, because this is my thing. And this is like uniquely my own path. And um, June is a pretty significant month, man. I mean, from going out to the Bay and coming back, traveling through Ireland and doing that study abroad program. That's when it started for me, me and nine women in Dublin, Ireland, celebrating my 23rd birthday there. 
and then I'm leaving to go to California, and then three years later in June, I'm coming back. Now it's three years later. I'm twenty. I'm gonna be twenty nine on Saturday, man. Fucking crazy. Uh, I still feel like I'm like a kid, you know. I still got a baby face, but it's just like I I read that, and it just gives me so much gas. That just gives me so much fucking juice, baby. Because I'm like, man, listen to that little motherfucking twenty six year old me just spitting facts over here. And it's funny because like these things that I say, I literally said the moment I stop having fun with it, I'll be done with it at the beginning of this episode. And then you hear me say that right now, in in, in reading something that I wrote three years ago, and it's just like, damn, this motherfucker been real since the jump. I'm like, yeah, man, that's the point. That's the point. And I came back thinking that sports radio was the thing that I had to do because I'm like, well, how do I move forward with broadcasting? Like, I don't know. Podcasts were definitely a big thing at that point. Um, Serial and um, This American Life. And at that point, Ryan Rosillo was doing one called Dual Threat. And like, I was just starting to really consider podcasts and people were as being a viable um, route to take as a broadcaster. But at the time, I was like, man, there's no fucking way I can come back and say, hey, I'm just going to launch my own podcast and just tell people that's why I moved back from California. Like, I felt like I need to be at a radio station or a television station or, or somewhere in order to feel legitimate. And what's funny is, what I'm doing now is way more legitimate and feels way more legitimate than when I had the on-air afternoon time slot. It's funny how that works, man. It's really funny how that works. But um, I felt like there's no way I could come back and just be like, hey, yeah, I'm hosting a podcast. Because people, you know, you hear people talk about podcasts and it's like, oh, anybody can have them. It's like a blog, right? But like, is yours good? Is there a future in it? Or is it just a hobby, right? Is it something you do for fun? I think sometimes podcasts like blogs, you tell people that and they're like, oh, it's cute. You know, they kind of pat you on the head. It's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, ego. But um, yeah, man, through everything from then until now, um, I don't know. I just, I just feel really good about it. And, you know, even as I sit here now and last week I reflected on the last year, it's like I said the same things leaving the radio station when I finally did. And I was just like, you know, I'm going to host this podcast. Um, It's going to be about the people I meet driving for Uber. And I'm not really sure where it all goes, but I think there's something here. So I'm just going to follow it up and we'll see where we're at. And here we are a year later and I'm keeping score, man. I mean, I'm keeping score. I'm taking note of everybody that slept on me and doubted me and hated on me and told me I'm not shit, told me to quit. And I'm like, thank you for that because... You don't even realize how far that pushes me and how how much that motivates me to prove you all wrong. And for the people that have been in my corner this whole time, there's not many of them. I mean, literally day ones. My friends, some of them, and my family. And for the people that I talk about in terms of being day ones from the moment that I dropped Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself and everybody that's been along for this ride in the last year that I was thanking last week, I take this opportunity to say thank you again, my friends, because you guys have been infinitely helpful in helping me grow the show and just believing in me and just leaving me awesome ratings and reviews on the podcast page or texting me your favorite stuff, sharing this stuff with people, 
or just once we get in person just telling me how much you think this is this is awesome like that that to me is awesome and it's a constant reminder that I do have a lot of good people in my corner and uh that's motivating as well you know to to do right by you guys and just prove it just prove it man day in and day out so that's where I'm gonna wrap things up today I'm uh I'm feeling pretty good 29th birthday coming up this week I'm gonna go out and um I'm going to be alone. I'm going to turn my phone off and I'm going to go hike. I'm not really sure where yet, but I'm going to pick a place that's within a couple hours of uh, Louisville and I'm just going to go out there on my own and just be in nature, man, and just go meditate. (laughs) You guys are like, man, what a weird motherfucker. I'm just like, you know what? When I feel the most at home, it's when I'm in nature just like vibing, man. I'm just trying to go see some wildlife fucking vibe out with nature and uh just get my soul right that's that's my church right it's either driving around on a sunday listening to the temptations and my soul playlist or it's being in nature and just being one with the universe (laughs) shout out to haru happy birthday to me happy days to the rest of you guys i appreciate you coming along on this ride with me and i hope that you'll continue to ride along to see where it all goes so that three years from now when i'm 32 magic johnson year i can be like damn listen to this thing i wrote six years ago and listen to this episode i did three years ago and look where we are now now who's keeping score (laughs) all right guys i'm out of here i will see you guys next week uber stories part 31 and then chicago Exciting times, my friends. I am Ben Tompkins. That's real talk. <laughs>